We have a new partner to the podcast, Luminate Advertising. They're an award-winning advertising and marketing firm, and their brand research director, Mary Tilger, is a personal friend of mine, and I encourage you to contact Luminate Advertising just to make your company shine if you need any graphic design, copywriting, printing, radio spots, trade show displays, digital marketing, promotional products. Everyone wants to represent their company in just a professional manner, so call Mary. She has a great marketing ear. She can help you out. Her phone number it's 303-460-8703. Welcome to Eternal Leadership, a show dedicated to equipping and inspiring leaders to accomplish what God has created in them. I'm Steve Ryder, co-founder and co-host. Here's this week's interview by my partner, John Ramstead. On today's episode of the Eternal Leadership Podcast, we have Chris McIntyre, from Adopt a Love Story, and he is the co-founder of Adopt a Love Story. Chris, welcome to the program. Hey, thank you, John. Excited to be here with you. Now, it was a it was a kind of a fun intersection. Um, you know, Chris has this really incredible, this interesting background, both in ministry and broadcast radio. Before you got into politics, which is a crazy. A crazy thing, especially this year, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's a good year to not be in politics. <laughs> no kidding. And now you were a campaign manager for the uh, state senate race here in Colorado, and um, you did a lot of work with a pro-life uh, political advocacy group. And then um, it was in 2009, I met Ralph Reed, who founded the Christian Coalition and was one of Reagan's campaign managers. And I started a nonprofit here in Colorado called the Faith and Freedom Coalition. And yep. in 2010, I believe we made just over 5 million voter contacts and raised a ton of money with just this incredible team here in Colorado and then with Ralph Reed's help. And then I had my accident and I was laid up for years and we had just, cre- you know, we had created this, um, uh, you know, Faith and Freedom Coalition and I was really, I could not be involved because of my health and I really wanted to find some great leadership and what happened with Ralph's help, we re, it got reconstituted, and Chris took over as our executive director and did just a phenomenal job. And a lot of the things that we talk about on this podcast is how do we really connect, you know, to answer some of those key questions. Who's God? Who am I? And what am I called to do with that? And Chris went through this process, and we're going to talk about that because he was just, he and his wife Lisa went through this, and at the, at the other end of it, they realized that, you know what, it's not politics that we're called to. It, we're, we're called to a completely different world, and that's to work with the fatherless, with the orphans in this world, and you have started something absolutely phenomenal. And just so people can get a little bit more background, though, uh, Chris, I'd love for you to just tell us, you know, kind of your story and your journey that's kind of led you to where you're at now. Yeah, that's... Um... That was, I think, the first opportunity that you and I met was when we sat down when I was coming on board as the executive director, and um, you were able to sit down and kind of just share what you guys had built and then your own story with the accident. And um, I just remember coming away from that just amazed at even with your accident and all those challenges, the energy that you had and the passion that you had. Um, and so I think that was kind of the the start of us knowing each other, and that was when I was in the height of really the, my kind of political career where I had kind of gone all in into that arena and seeing some great people and, and accomplishing some things, but starting to just feel that frustration that um, the kind of all or nothing focus that we had in the, the political area um, was really shortchanging the rest of the culture that I personally felt that um, Christians were being called to to be engaging in, and for it's, it just seemed like for the last two decades we had just told people, "Hey, to be pro-life, to walk out your faith, you just need to vote pro-life every year, you know, or every two years." And so, um, and I I started to me just feeling more of of an element where it was kind of like building, um, kind of like building sandcastles on the beach where you could build this beautiful thing and put it all together. And then the, the tide changes of public sentiment and, you know, it's all wiped out the following year. Um, and that sort of back and forth just really started to, to bother me. And as we were kind of, my wife and I were going through that process of like, what is it we're supposed to be doing as a couple and journeying together? And like, where does God have us? And we were at a kind of a crazy spot where we, um, 
we had six kids in six years because we had two sets of twins. And so um, it was just this whirlwind of, of life going on. But at the same time saying like, do we, do we hold on to what we know or do we, do we move out into a new area where there's some risk involved? And so that was kind of the impetus for me to start wrestling with really what you, um, kind of how you look at the world and how you act off of it. And I, I think two things that to me were really sum it up well is, um, one, the, the, the co-founder of our organization, um, now, um, talks about when you see tragedy, you can either respond out of bitterness and anger, um, mm-hmm. which is our, our first human reaction. And what we see a lot of times and what we see, like you mentioned, even in this, this political season, there's so much vitriol and just anger. Um, or you can respond out of brokenness and humility before the Lord. And it's when you respond through brokenness and humility that you have that quietness to listen, to, to hear the creativity from God and the solutions to say, okay, what's the real answers here? Not just what kind of response do I need to give so I emotionally feel you know, vindicated or I can vent about it. And so um, that was kind of, for me, it started to weigh on me is to say, what, what are we missing here in the communities and in the culture? And um, seeing the need, and as I started to kind of engage with various leaders and, and listening to the journeys of various other leaders and, and kind of what they had done, um, one of them shared a poem from um, a German poet named Rilke, and it's basically kind of the loose translation. He's talking about the angel of God wrestling with Jacob from Jacob's perspective and then contrasting it with us. And he says, the things that we fight against are so small that when we win, we make ourselves smaller. And that just really challenged me to say, like, am I doing the things, like, am I looking for the easy victories that I can feel good about in that moment? But in the long term, the big picture, are they just, you know, do do they not have that eternal consequence that matters, basically? And so, um, and then as you wrestled with that question, what, what did you... What did you notice as you kind of thought through that? Um, I think going through the the process of, of being willing to push into the unknown. So coming from the political spectrum where everything's very set, you know, everybody runs by very specific rule books. And, uh, you know, as, as you know, in a campaign that, you know, you do ABC and then you do this, like it's all very crafted for you. And there's some creativity in that. But it's a very known entity and a very much um, because there's always back and forth. It's safe. It's, you've always got job security because, you know, chances are that somebody else wins the next election. And now you're, you know, playing defense and trying to get back on offense. And so that was a, an area that I knew, but it was the area that I felt I, that I it wasn't appropriate for me to be there anymore. Not in a bad way, but just this unsettledness that I was wrestling with. And that my wife and I were talking through to say, like, is this where we need to be? And is this like, is this the role that we should be filling? Or are we just trying to play it safe in this spot? Mm. And um, Did you feel I like think, you were playing it safe, even though this was a I mean, the work that you did, it was hard work. It was long hours. It was challenging. Um, but did you kind of almost feel like you were playing it safe? I think there was that structure. You know, you had people around you. You had um you know, the various experts and the people that you work with that were all great people. But there, there were a lot of fail safes and safety nets that you could, you know, go to and say, hey, if we really get in a jam, we can do this. We can, you know, um, you know, reach out to these people, have that help. And so it was um, it was busy and it was chaotic and it was crazy, but it was definitely not a um, there was limited risk involved, basically. And not that that's what we seek, but at the same time it was for me realizing that I needed to be willing to risk if I was going to move into where God wanted me to be. Mm. And I, we reached that point with adopt a love story where I was still doing the political stuff and an opportunity opened up. And I told my wife, I said, I feel like we're at the top of the hill right now. And we either let take our foot off the brake and let this thing start picking up speed and see where it goes, or we got to stand on the brake and really slow down the growth of adopt a love story. Um, and that was a, that was a decision I really wrestled with and sought the Lord on because it knowing, take our foot off the brake and it starts going, that means we got to leave this other stuff behind. Um, and, um, it was, 
wrestling with that decision, but then once making the decision, realizing that there, to me, wasn't a doubt in what we were doing. So we didn't know what the outcome was going to be fully with the growth of Adopt a Love Story and where it was going to go. But we had a confidence that like, it was right where we needed to be. Um, and it was funny, that never wavered, even through all the challenges we had. There was still the sense of like, nope, this is this is where we're at now. And there's a lot of unknowns and there's a lot of stress. Um, but this is this is the journey that God's called us to and that we're moving through. Well, you know... I would love for you to share a little bit about that process, Chris, that led you, you know, to get to that place of certainty, to step away from something you've been doing for years and years to pursue something that was really a, a very much a step out on faith. Yeah, I, I think for me, there was that having a strong faith, but then also I think the, the element that had been hindering me was that desire for perfection and always being successful. And so it was having been in environments where you could control some of the stuff and you could, you know, you could say we do A, B, and C, and we know we're going to get this result. And, um, you know, it's, it's going to be satisfying and people are going to, you know, applaud you and say, good job. And then that arena of saying this new area, like there's going to be mistakes and you're going to screw stuff up and you're going to get things wrong. Um, and being able to overcome that personally and in my, basically in my relationship with the Lord to say, Hey, I don't have to come with this perfection before you. Um, but giving myself the freedom to basically make those mistakes and to learn as we go, which was a, it was actually very foreign to me in the background I had come from where it was always just, you know, work harder until it's perfect and you're good to go. Um, and moving into a space where you knew because you were learning and because it was a new, um, almost a new idea that we were trying to introduce into the culture that we were going to do some things wrong. Um, and being able to become comfortable with that, to say that's part of it. And that's that doesn't impact my personal relationship with the Lord. It doesn't impact my relationship with my wife or my friends and family. Like that's, um, you know, that that's a worthwhile thing to do and to not just, um, you know, be stuck basically to kind of be frozen in that until it's perfectly right you know, don't do anything. I think it was, um, the found one of the founders, I think Jack Dorsey from Twitter that said, if you, if your first website's everything you want it to be, then you waited too long to launch. Um, <laughs> and so I think that's kind of that mindset, not just in that, but in multiple things to say, if you get to a spot where you're like, man, we're on top of this and like, we built this all quietly and now look where it's at, then you've basically stunted, you know, your, your personal growth as well as the growth of your organization. Well, you know, you're bringing up, uh, there's a lot of issues and challenges, and I've gone through these transitions myself, right? You know, making a, this pivot. You know, as you went through this process, right, the, you know, the future, there's a lot of uncertainty, there's unknowns, you're doing something different. What, what were some of the biggest challenges you think you had to, to really either get clarity on or overcome that gave you that confidence to just start taking those small steps forward into this new direction? Uh, I think... Um being able to to kind of put yourself out there and to to see um as you know when you jump into this new arena like you wear you wear just about every hat that there is as you're mm -hmm. growing yeah you sure and do. there were some things that i knew like i'm good at this because i this is an element of my past career that like i can hit home runs on this all day long and then there were things where you don't have anybody else to do it and you got to step out and say Hey, you got to go have this conversation. You know, you got to have, um, you know, this, I'm not a great manager per se. Um, when it comes to some of the interaction, some of the interaction and stuff, I'm, I'm really good at sitting down and inspiring people. But then when it comes to like, okay, let's talk through the conflict and all that kind of stuff. Um, that's harder for me, but that was something that needed to be learned because that was an element that, um, you know, if, if you're not engaged in that, then your organization's going to suffer. And so, I think for me, it was really, and, and I don't know that I would even say that I'm, I don't know if we ever get to a spot where we're fully through it, but just a lot of early mornings on my knees before the Lord saying, I don't, I do not feel equipped for the things that are in front of me today. Um, I don't feel that I have, that I can stand and say, yeah, I'm talented in this area and I know I can, can do this. 
Um, but I know I've got to still step up to the plate and swing for the fence. And so um, it was a, a lot of prayer and fasting and um, just crying out to the Lord to say, you know, there's there's an element where we, we do, it is right to to put our future in the hands of the Lord, but we also can't use that as a just, you know, a sit back like, well, Lord, you, you determine this. I'm just going to sit back and watch. Um, you know, we have to, we still have to, to show up. And I think realizing with a lot of these Christian ministries that I saw and these, um, you know, Christian leaders that have just this legacy for the last several hundred years, like the Lord worked powerfully through them. But if you look in, like there was still things that they wrestled with and shortcomings that they had, but they just showed up every day. And I think that was to me that realization to say, like, I just need to be there and show up and do what God's asked me to do and then trust him to to teach me the kind of the tricks and the hacks to grow, grow quickly in these arenas that I'm not I don't have any experience in. Well, I think that's such an important point, and I'd love for you to share a little bit about what does it mean to show up every day, Chris? Uh, you know, I think uh, you, you talk about uh, on one of your on one of your other podcasts, Brad uh, Lomanick was on, yeah, and I thought he summed it up great um, when he said, "Be humble, stay hungry, and always hustle." Yeah, um, and I I think that's to me that realization of you know you can you can pray. And pray and pray and pray, which God calls us to do, to be in that spirit of prayer. But to just stay in that space is—I um, don't think it's—it's it's honoring to the Lord either. From the standpoint to say, focus prayer is great, but if you can't put then action to it, and so that showing up is to going into a day saying, "Man, I'm totally drained. This has been a really long week, and like it would be nice to just have a win to end this week." And, I, you know, I've told that to my wife before where I'd come home on a Thursday night and say, like, man, I'd really like to just end tomorrow with a win. Like, it's been a really long week. Um, but going before the Lord again the next day and saying, this is where we're at. This is where you've put us. And I'm going back into the office tomorrow. Um, and I'm going to keep pushing on the things that are in front of me to push on. And there's sometimes where there's very little that you can push on. And then there's other times when... Um, you know, you've got a lot in front of you, but in all those moments, you look to say, hey, this is the only thing I know that can be done right now, so I'm going to jump in and do it. I'm not going to sit here and just be frozen with um, fear or uncertainty. Um, you got to keep moving um, and keep praying. I, to me, I, there's just that blend that, um, you know, it's prayer throughout the day and prayer in the morning and then just hustling through the course of the day, um, even when it sometimes feels like you're up against a brick wall. Yeah, well, I love that. You know, when you're talking about always hustle, my friend Rory Vaden kind of puts it this way, right? That, you know, success, you know, there's a price that we have to pay, and the rent is due every day. And mm. what he means is, you know what, you have to put in the work. Um, you know, putting yourself in action towards something is what I have found actually gets the clarity to, you know, make that action the next day even more focused, or, you know, maybe you hit a point where I've gone down a little bit of a path and I need to readjust. I, maybe I failed, but I want to I wanna fail forward into this, this direction, this passion that I'm moving toward, this, this goal, this outcome. And I know that, you know, when I work with people, my coaching clients, and we really tap into what they're passionate about and really connect that to the longings God's put in their heart, that really gives this clarity on this direction that our life should be taking. Mm -hmm. And I'm guessing that as you've gone through this process um, and, you've, and you're moving into what you're doing at Adopt a Love Story, because I, I, I see your passion, I see how much time, you know, energy you're putting into this, the people that you're serving. You know, what, what is a little bit about that process you went to, through to really connect to what your passions were, because they clearly weren't in the political area. It's it's in this this kind of this whole new area, and and I think getting the clarity on what those passions were allowed you to make this this pivot, which has been very you know it has its ups and downs, but yep. you know you're succeeding. Uh, I think realizing that there was that element that um, you know as you as you start to to grow older and have the abilities to look back through your life kind of with that lens and pulling out, um, 
And I remember talking to some to some younger guys that were coming through various processes and in various different you know paths that they were choosing, um, and just encouraging and challenging them to say, okay, there's that there's things that you can do in all these different arenas, but they might all be coming from that same passion, which you don't realize at the time. And so being able to step back and look to say, hey, I did this when I was in ministry. I did this when I was in politics. And then realizing like both of those, there was talents and things that I did in that, that I honed that are now being manifested in a larger way with what I'm doing now. And so realizing that, and I, I challenge some of these younger guys when I talk to them to say, look at look at the things that you've done and maybe jobs you've hold, held that haven't been that fancy of jobs or you know not something you want to even put on a resume. But what was it in that job that really excited you and made you feel alive um, mm-hmm. and that you really connected with and that you, you know, you could work all day on it and not be tired. Um, you know, that is a, that same, those same principles that you applied your talent to can be in other arenas then. And so when, you know, people look at it and, and it really is, I think personally, it's not the title of what you're doing. It's, it really is where your skills are plugging in. So you can work with somebody that, you know, they're, they're doing events, you know, for a catering company and then you plug them into the political thing and now they're handling logistics for a campaign. Like they just love logistics. And so, you know, that's the thing that feeds them. And so being able to look, I feel like less at a job title and more of to say, where, where are my passions? What are the things that I, I do? You know, I looked at, you know, what we do now with families and helping them, you know, raise funds with their adoption and all that kind of stuff. I, I realized like from a young age, I was always the one that was kind of rallying everybody around to say like, Hey, so-and-so's birthday's coming up. Let's all pool our money and get the cool gift. Like, and that realizing like, I've been doing this even before I was working in any sort of career path, but that was a passion. And now the Lord has totally plugged that passion and skill. I think that's the, that key is to, to stop looking at, like that was to me that politics was, you know, kind of that holy grail through high school and the early twenties of, you know, this is a really cool arena to be in, you know, it looks sexy and it looks cool and you watch all the shows and isn't this awesome. And then getting into it and realizing like, yeah, I'm using my skills here, but like this isn't the full manifestation of what God's called me to and what the skill sets he's given me are. And so I was still able to use those skill sets and to hone things that are valuable now, but, um, it wasn't, it wasn't the title that was satisfying to me. It was that, you know, getting into that area where, you know, being self-aware enough to say, these are the things I'm good at and I'm strong at. And so I'm going to look for opportunities where I can thrive in doing those. Um, And I think the Lord leads you through that. So if I asked you a question, let's say, you know, when you were, you know, fully engaged in your skills, but on a scale of one to 10 um, for passion, what what do you think that engaged you? uh, What level of engagement was that in your, in your passions? Um, sorry, I, I don't know fully, <laughs> I guess. So, um, so, so think about it, right? You know, I would say what you're doing right now with adopt a love story, you're probably a nine or a 10 out of 10 on just, you know, engaging in your, what you're passionate about. Yeah. Yep. Right. What, what would you say that on a one to 10 scale was when you were doing your works in politics? Uh, I think when I was able to be in the areas where that were, you know, were the strengths, and the things that I loved, um, you know, you, you probably could be at a six or a seven. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, I think it was the knowing that those were your passions, but that you were wanting to do it. And again, going back to that kind of controlled environment, I think that limits your passions as well. And so I think when you're, when you're willing to push out and say, this is where I know my passions are, this are the, the things that I know I can do well. And so I'm going to move out into an unknown I think that heightens that joy because, you know, you're, um, you're taking on a challenge and you're testing yourself and you're testing your, your own values and your beliefs as well as your, your view of yourself. And so I think what helps bring that nine and that 10 is when you're in a space where you're saying, these are my, this is my skill set, but I'm outside my comfort zone. And so at that point, then it, 
your passions are more of that companion that are helping push you through those challenges, if that makes sense. Like, I think the, the being in the unknown is what heightens our passions a lot of times. Yeah. And I, you know, I think that, you know, it highlights, you know, a lot of people, business owners, entrepreneurs, we're really almost geared to be working in our skills, our strengths, our gifts. And, you know, if you almost think of this as a, of a scale, right? So the, the vertical scale, that Y axis, let's call that your strengths and your, you know, your gifts, your skills. And that X axis yep. is your, your passions. And each one has a one to 10 scale in our whole focus at, you know, the coaching work we do is how do we get people to this 10, 10 life? That would be that upper mm. right, right? If I, if yep. I, if I plotted this and I, I'm looking back on my own life before I got into what I'm doing now, I think I was engaged in my skill sets at easily an eight, nine or a 10, depending on the day. And I was always trying to push toward that 10 using my skills. And I really wasn't focusing on the passion side of thing, kind of trying mm. to push that envelope almost out to the right, if you're thinking of this visually. And I think that's why I would describe my life prior to the accident and really getting clarity on what my calling was, is being in this place of, of just being feeling discontent, like I wasn't doing what I was meant yeah. to do. And this is what you've done, right? You've, you've moved, you're still using all the same skills, but now you've moved that passion boundary way to the right by moving into what you're doing now. And I think that is key for people. And it doesn't always mean like what you're doing, you know, leaving what you were doing before and starting a complete new nonprofit startup entity, which we're going to talk about next. You know, that is definitely an option. That's one option. That's the same option that I took. For some people, it's maybe how do I do something on the side, get involved in the charity, get involved with maybe mentoring inner city kids, whatever it happens mm, yeah. to be that you're doing in parallel to what you're doing, because you're really engaged with your gifts and your skills, it's taking care of your family, but you're just adding a lot more joy and fulfillment to your life. And some people, when they go through this process, they realize I can do exactly what I'm doing now in the chair that I've, you know, that I've almost been assigned to in life, the job, but I can do it in a subtly different way or a much different way that I can engage all my passions, move toward that 1010 life right where I'm at. I just didn't know how to get there. So I'm glad that you well, brought being that up that, because it's a, go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, the way you sum that up, I think is perfect because being at that 10 on your skill set, yeah. like requires when your passion's not driving it, it requires that much more of your own energy to kind of keep yourself up there. And at that level, so you're basically true. just prime, prime for burnout. And so, because you're, it's more of that performance to say, this is where I need to be because this is, you know, I'm a competitive person. I like to succeed, but you're, you're on the verge of burnout all the time because the passion isn't in there to provide that energy. And so I think you're, you're exactly right. So even in, you don't have to change your profession, but how do you allow your passion to come fill that same skill set to say, this is what I'm doing at work. But I have an opportunity to volunteer and do that same thing, except I'm actually excited to do it over here. And the things that I learn in my work, I can use over here as I'm mentoring these people or reaching out to these people or spending time in this endeavor over here on the side. That's when you start to bring that passion and push it to that top right and let that balance show up. Yeah, and I think that, you know, that passion, that's that energy, that's that rocket fuel, that's the juice that just allows yeah. you to tap into, you know, who, you know, your core values, your strengths, your skills, and bring it out in a much more fulfilling way and also to serve the people you were meant to serve. So, you know, that's a great lead into, I'd love to, you know, for you to share, Chris, more about what Adopt a Love Story is, how it got started, what you do. It's just phenomenal, the work that you're doing right now. Yeah, we, for us, it was really, um, you know, for me, seeing again, that desire to say, how do we solve this within the community, solve some of these challenges that we're battling on in the policy arena, and it's just a constant back and forth, but the culture's never moving. A lot of people are even unaware that the policy battle's going on with some of this stuff. And so, to me, I was looking to say, how do you actually change the culture underneath all the policy and all the politics? Um, and one of the things that I was that I'm passionate about is is helping kids in need. Kids in need. I like, it's just a huge heart for my wife and I. Like for us, 
it's a no brainer that if someone came and said, Hey, you know, here's a child that needs help, you know, would you guys do it today? Like we wouldn't even think about it. We'd say yes. Now we've, we've been limited because of having six kids in six years and the oldest are just seven. We're like still kind of catching our breath from that sprint. So we know that that time's coming for us, but, um, just seeing a need and again, looking at to say, okay, I was trained in politics. I was trained in fundraising in, in pulling all these pieces together and getting your side of the story out and getting the, the issue in front of people. That was what I spent several years doing. And then I looked at the adoption arena, which I personally believe adoption literally is a cure. When you look at both, uh, or you include foster care, international adoption, and then adoption, uh, the adoption movement growing and helping women that are in crisis pregnancies choose adoption over abortion. Like it's a, it's a solution that not only is an example of God's redemption and what he's done for all of us by grafting us into his family, but then it solves all these various levels within the culture that we're seeing that are just totally out of whack right now. Mm -hmm. And so as I was looking at that and seeing how do you expand the adoption movement in the U.S., how do you change communities and how they view um, the least of these in their community, um, seeing that there was there was really two shortages and one was no one was telling the, telling the stories, which I saw, you know, in the political realm was a big frustration. I started to see where, you know, it, we're really good at pie charts and, you know, making all these dire predictions, but there was no actual story involved, which if you look at scripture and the gospel, it's one big long story that God's telling. And so um, the value of s stories being told and then seeing families that basically um, wanted to adopt but didn't have the financial ability and that they don't have that fundraising skill. And I looked and said, okay, I just spent several years fundraising in the political arena and knowing a lot of these things. And so going back to what you just talked about, you know, my skill set was up there on the high end of the knowing how to do this stuff, but the passion wasn't there for what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And then looking to say, here's families that are trying to step into their community and make a difference. And they just need someone to come alongside and to say, how do we raise these funds for what we want to do with our adoption? Now, and how, so to me, that was to, uh, ado adopt a child. It varies um, depending on the adoption, but the average adoption right now in the U.S., if it's not through the foster care system, can be, you know, uh, high 20s to mid 30,000. Wow. Um, there's a lot of a lot of expenses involved. And part of our passion is to see if we can't get to a spot at some point where you can, you know, start um, bringing that price down. But it's also the reality of where we're at right now. And so to us to say, how do we change um, the Barner Group did a a study and found that 38% of Christians had seriously considered adoption, but only 5% had actually been able to adopt. And so we look at that and say, okay, that huge disconnect in the middle, the, one of the main keys as we're talking to families is, this has been our heart, on our heart for a long time, but we've not been able to figure out how we can afford it. And it's not the day-to-day -day care, it's, you know, it's like the, it'd be like buying a house, you know, with, you know, all down kind of thing. Um, and so it's, they're saying, how do we afford this upfront cost so that we can bring another child in. And it's families that we're seeing that it's not a, you know, well, our kids are raised or this is a plan B for us. It's families that we're saying, you know, this was, we talked about this in one of our early dates when we were, you know, even before we were serious as a couple, we talked about how important adoption was to both of us. Like it's, it's a movement that's growing. And so for us, then we looked to say, okay, how do we help them raise the funds and how do you, again, using that skill set to say, as I did in politics, how do you get your message out there? We look to say, how do we get then these families' stories and their messages out there? And so that's where we combined really that fundraising element and that skill set along with then crafting, helping families craft their stories where we, we come in, we send a video team in, we record their story, we talk to them, we capture their life, and then we take that video and we promote it out into their community and their network through social media and through all these other arenas um, to get a community to then engage and come around that family. Well, I would love for you to maybe share some stories of people you've worked with and what's the outcome's been. Uh, you know, it's been it's been so humbling to be able to to come alongside to see the sacrificial mindset um, of these families that you know they've they haven't had it easy. And yet rather than kind of going into their own 
um, uh, you know, cocoon for protection, they're, they're being very outward looking uh, to say, how can we continue to engage? One of our families, uh, they were, after they were married, they were spending time in Uganda doing some work with a, a ministry they knew. And there was um, a mom that had, a new mom that just had passed away and they were at the funeral service and her little like three-year-old or three-day-old baby was being passed around and they said, who's going to take care of this child? And nobody really knew. So they said, okay, well, you know, we'll take care of it until, uh, you know, and, and, and help her until the family decides how they want to proceed with this. And it was a very impoverished country and nobody came forward Mm. to, to take this little girl. And so they were just like, okay, this is us, we're going to do this. And as they started that process then in that country to adopt, um, someone came to him and said, you know, this is awesome, but what about her older brother? And I mean, it was a total, you know, just threw him for a loop kind of thing. But they said, you know, they met him and they're like, yeah, this, like, this is a no brainer. Like we, this is the sibling. There's no reason why this child shouldn't be in a loving home as well. And so they, they completed the process of adopting both the the little baby girl and her older brother. And it was as they were getting ready to head back to the U S that it was in the final, um, court date. And they were reading through the names of this mom who had passed away and they named their two kids that they knew. And then they, they, they mentioned the third name and the family was like, wait, what? Like, you know, what's, what's going on here? And there was another older sibling that, um, you know, was basically was out and nobody had known about. And so they went back to the country, started the process all over again, and was able to bring him home as well. And so they, you've got a young couple that's been married like a year, and they've got three kids now that they bring back home with them. Um, And at the same time, then when they're they're going through this process, they um, adopt a child out of the foster care system in their hometown where they're at as well. And so just seeing that kind of heart and passion of people to say like, this is not only something we believe in, but we're willing to live sacrificially because of what we believe in. Um, and we're willing to put ourselves out there and take on, I mean, they, you know, in essence, their oldest child is only 10 years younger than them. Um, and just their heart, we had the opportunity to spend time with them. And I mean, it's just, you can tell that they've got challenges and that it's not easy, but they just have such a heart and the, the dad, um, saying, which to me just blew me away. And it was one of those things where you just, it's like that you see the gospel just on full display in front of you. Yeah, he was talking wow. about the, their, their son that they had adopted, um, you know, from the foster care system when he was 16. And he said, you know, I, I don't know what all went on in his life for those first 16 years, but it doesn't matter now because he's my son. And like that just wow. to me, it just breaks you when you hear that of that kind of of freedom that we have ourselves. And so I, to me and to what we see with these families, it's it's it is literally the gospel boiled down to its simplest form on display. Mm-hmm. And it's where God is calling these families. And so for us, we're looking to say, if God is calling these families and he's calling more and more of these young families to this, then let's just help them pursue that calling that God's placed on their heart. Um, so that's really been for us that impetus and then just seeing this explosion now of, of growth because of, of these family stories that are starting to get out there. And now other families approaching us saying, Hey, we want to do, we want to do this too. Like, you know, help tell our story for what we're doing with our adoption. And so, and each one's unique, you know, when you, when you hear adoption, everybody automatically just thinks one thing, but when you spend more than five minutes with someone talking about their adoption, you hear the heart of these things. Like that story just told with Jim and Emily, like, you hear, like, this is the unique element. This is something that happened in their life, like you talked about with that passion, to say this is why it's a passion for them. And it started at this very specific time or experience, and it's motivating everything they're doing, and they're living in that passion now. Um, it's a it's amazing to see. Well, I I'm, thank you for telling that story. That's, yeah, the heart of people that do that is just... Oh, man, it's just so heartwarming um, to be redundant there, but uh, amazing. And how do people reach out, and how do they connect to you and what you're doing, Chris? Uh, so our website is adoptalovestory.com, and um, we basically we're we're in a we're in a real growth phase now because of 
of launching this platform where we basically create the story for the family. We create a, a landing page form where their video is. And then as we're promoting that out, it allows people to then in their community engage back and donate to their adoption, but then also to then being part of the journey, which is another big element for us is where we want people to not just say, oh, yeah, I gave you know to somebody at church that was adopting and that was the end of it. We really work to continue to tell the family's story and journey throughout the process so that these people that are engaged with them are their community that stay with them from beginning through the adoption and then beyond because it's, you know, the adoption being finalized is not the end. It's oftentimes just the first chapter of the life of that child and what they go on to become. And so allowing basically a large community to kind of surround a family to be part of what they're doing, not just financially, but then also just emotionally and spiritually being a part of that journey with them. And so as the, as we, as the families engage with what we're doing and, and we're connecting them then to their community, um, it's just really built. It's, it's just this ever expanding network really that we're seeing grow of people that are adopting and then people that they know they're not called to adopt or adoption is not something they can do at the time, but they're saying we're helping other families accomplish this because this is, you know, a huge need and it's, it's a movement that's growing to address what's going on in our communities. Yeah, that's awesome how you do this in the process and you've walked me through it. I see how it works. It's so effective. And what, how would you describe for people listening, what, what is just that perfect family uh, that's just ideal for you guys to work with so they can be thinking about maybe who to forward this podcast to or to get and, you know, tell, tell their friend about, you know, adoptalovestory.com. Yeah, I think it, it really is, um, you know, families that they're, they're passionate um, that, that shows through, um, and you know, they're comfortable with their story. And we tell our families, there's so much in the adoption process that is beyond the family's control. You know, paperwork gets hung up or, you know, you've got to wait for this visa to come through, or, you know, they're on a waiting list for longer than they expected. Um, but the part of the store, but the part of the element of their journey that they control is their story and they control how it's told and who it's told to and how many people get to hear it. And so that's what we encourage our families is, and we really love to engage with families that are excited to tell their story and to, to it. There's a vulnerability element there because you're, you're, you are sharing your heart to people that, you know, you don't know who's all going to be seeing your video, but it's the families that are saying like, this is our heart and we're putting ourselves out there to share our passion. Those are the stories that can just really take off because it encourages people that they don't even know who they are that um, are in similar situations or they resonate with that story and what's going on. Um, so that's really to us that passion and then that willingness to kind of open themselves up and to share to say, you know, this is this is where we are and this is what's going on. And it's sometimes not pretty, but like this is this is what adoption is. This is what redemption looks like. You know, it, the gospel is oftentimes messy because that's why the Lord came to redeem um, you know, he came for the sick, not the healthy. And so, you know, the adoption in every story, there's ups and downs and that's, that's the whole part of it. And that's the gospel like that. And so these families that aren't afraid to dive into that and to talk about that and share that really are the ones that we see, um, just blossom and succeed with what they're doing. So I would say, you know, everybody out there, as you're listening to this, wherever you're at, you know, if you're thinking about adopting or if you know, friends or you know people in your sphere of influence that are thinking of adopting please put them in touch with chris and adopt a love story and also take this podcast and forward this episode you know if your church has a ministry about adoption or there's groups um you know in your in, that you know of that are supporting people that are adopting kids uh because what it does it, it's giving these kids just an incredible chance to be in a just a stable, loving, solid family home. And like you said, what, 38% of Christians, which is, you know, millions of people yep. would love to adopt, but they can't afford it. There's a very small percentage of people that can actually, you know, thinking of writing a twenty-five or $30,000 check over the next year just to be able to adopt somebody, that's, that's a huge hurdle to overcome for some folks. And this is really, so it's not only the process, but it's the finances. So uh, every you know, Chris. First of all, I'm I'm so proud of what you and Lisa are doing. Really excited, to, you know, to share this message to our audience and just really encourage people to engage with this, forward this to people that you know 
that are going to benefit from this. And and Chris, what can we do this whole community to to help you out and what you're doing on this on this mission, this journey you're on? Uh, yeah, I mean, from the practical standpoint, first and foremost, um, as we're moving into the new um, kind of this new growth area now, where we we have more families asking for help than we can help right now, we're basically completely overhauling our infrastructure to to be able to to get more and more families onto the platform at once. And so there's a very real practical side of that as far as um, you know the financial element with what we're we're trying to raise over the next couple months to be able to really fill this this new need that's come before us. Um, so that's that's a real element that is obviously always crucial and it, it you know it's basically kind of comes down to any business where you know the the capital to grow basically um, is one of the first steps you have to have. And so that's really that's really an important element for us. Um, I think then as what you had already mentioned as as we've now and as we are moving in this space where we we are removing some of the actual infrastructure limitations that limited us before, and we're moving into this space where we can be helping more and more families, you know, being able to just share and to put families in touch with us that are thinking about adoption. Um, or as you mentioned too, churches, we, we've got churches with our families that we work with, and there's just a lot of opportunities the way we're structured to really step into those arenas and to help out. And so, um, you know, to spread the word, um, and then just, uh, you know, the, to us, the prayer element's huge. Uh, this is, um, you know, uh, there's definitely spiritual warfare that's involved when you're trying to redeem stories that um, um, of children and families. And so we know that there's a constant battle and um, that we feel and, and just the pressures of just growing. And um, as we scale larger, there's just, there's a lot of, of things in that that as the leader myself, um, you know, can be sometimes overwhelming. And, you know, like I said, there's a lot of prayer and fasting that goes into it. So, um, that's all those elements I think would probably be, um, you know, people plugging in in, in any or all of those arenas would be, would be really valuable to us. And, um, we'd be grateful for. Yeah. Well, we'd love to support you. And, uh, there's in the last two years, there's only been, I think one other time where we've actually, uh, you know, put something out there for people to be, you know, participate and donate. And, you know, just knowing you, what you do, your integrity, um, we're excited to get behind you. And I'd love for the Eternal Leadership community to get involved and be able to raise enough where we could help one family adopt a child. So if everybody mm. out there wants to go to adoptalovestory.com, there's a, there's a donate button there. Go ahead, and if you want to donate, whether it's five dollars, ten dollars, a hundred, a thousand, whatever small amount, large amount you can put in there, um, Eternal Leadership Chris is going to match any of those donations up to five thousand dollars. So we're going to put oh our, wow, thank you, our money you, where our mouth is because we want um, you know it'd be so cool to be part of somebody else's story and adopting that child, something that we can share in and, and be part of mm, in this community. Amen. Uh, the last time we did this, we ended up uh, raising uh, almost uh, $14,000 um, for wow. uh, Unbridled Axe here in Colorado, which is a battered woman shelter. And 100% of that money actually went to remodel, actually to add an addition uh, to their this property that's here that allowed them to bring in three whole families. And the stories wow. there are just incredible so this community has just been so generous, so amazing. So I'd love for everybody to be to be part of that. And we're going to match up to $5,000 out of our own personal, you know, giving account that my wife and I have. And we're excited about being part of what you're doing, my friend, and just want to encourage you. And, and, and if people have any questions, how do they get in touch with you, Chris? Yeah, my email is uh, just Chris, C-H-R-I-S, at adoptalovestory.com. Um, I'd love to chat. I'm I'm as you mentioned, just passionate about um, what we're doing. And so being able to, to engage other people and to hear their stories and, you know, some of these adoptive families. And, um, you know, thank you so much, John, for, for what you're doing and for the matching gift. And I can, you know, tell you that that kind of ability um, is not going to just be able to help one family. Um, you know, the, the impact that uh, that gift uh, has will be felt through um, a lot of family stories. Um, and so that's, um, that would be amazing. And I appreciate that. And 
Um, I pr- thank you so much for your time. And, you know, I'll put a little plug in for you to not uh, put you on the spot, but <laughs> for those who listen to the podcast and have not had a chance to meet you personally, if there's ever an opportunity where you're speaking somewhere, um, you know, it's, um, I know we, we were able to sit down again recently and, and chat face to face and your passion for what you're doing and what the Lord has called you to is, you know, evident just in a, a casual conversation. And so, um, I love, I love what you're doing and I love the, the work and the, the fruit that is being born from it. Um, you know, in all these lives is, um, it's just been awesome to see how, how you've let God use your story. So, um, I really not only appreciate the time you spend with me personally, but, um, also just your willingness to pursue the Lord. Well, thank you, Chris. I I really appreciate that. And it's been just a blessing getting to know you. And, you know, just as we wrap up, just any final thoughts for folks listening? Uh, I think the to just what you talk about is and what you mentioned that to me is what I always try to encourage people to is to to be constantly evaluating, like what what is it in your space that's that's that passion um, and how do you connect that with your, with your everyday life? Um, that's something that, you know, when you are in that, like, you know, personally, and, and I've been able to, to see happen in my life, like when, when, when it clicks, there's just such a joy that comes from it. And it's not easy. There's still a lot of hard work, like you said, and showing up every day, but when it clicks and when it, when it comes into place, there's, uh, it really is, um, I think pastor Matt Hurt says life with a capital L. Um, you know, when you're, you're using the talents God's given you in the, in ways that honor him. Um, you know, I, to me, there's, there's no greater encouragement than that, in my opinion. So awesome. Well, thank you for your time. Thank you for what you're doing. Please give my, my, my love to Lisa, your, your entire team, and, um, just look forward to following up and just seeing where this journey takes you, the lives that you touch and just how God is working through what you're doing here and just the lives of, uh, of the, the folks that we're all called to serve in different ways. Amen. Well, thank you, John. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Eternal Leadership. Be sure to check the summary of this MP3 for any important links and a link to the show notes for this episode. By the way, if you're a regular listener to Eternal Leadership, could you give John and I a hand? Could you give us a rating and review on iTunes? It's how most people listen to podcasts, and ratings and reviews help bump us up those charts. The higher we are, the more people that will stumble onto us. If you don't listen through iTunes, rate and review us on whatever platform you listen, or just share it with someone that you think could really benefit from our topics and guests. Thanks. For John Ramstead, I'm Steve Ryder, and thank you for listening to Eternal Leadership.